hello, and welcome to the Psychedelic Diaries. I am your host, Ray Krishnan. Mm-mm. Do we have a good show for you today? Ben Lightburn, CEO and founder of Filament Health, will be on the show for a deep dive and a soul search. We'll end the show, as usual, with a clap and a slap. We'll pick two companies in the psychedelic space for a little bit of critique and some praise. But let's get started with a nugget and a noodle. Producer Kevin is here, and today's news nugget is Toronto and Michigan both have active new bills for psychedelic legalization. This grassroots groundswell effort is nothing short of titillating. Stay tuned. And as for the noodle, something I've been noodling on of late is how we might approach evaluating the various compounds in psychedelics. For example, we've got alcohol where you've got beer, liquor and wine, they're quite different, but MDMA, psilocybin, and LSD are very different. So how do we approach evaluating the different indications, use cases, and applications? Something to noodle on. Well, that's it for the nugget in the noodle. Producer Kevin, are we all synced up with Ben? Ladies and gentlemen, if I may direct your attention, he is the CEO and founder of Filament Health, Ben Lightburn, thank you for joining the show. Thank you, Ray. Pleasure, pleasure to be on. Great intro. <laughs> thank you. Well, speaking of uh, some great stuff, congrats on the Health Canada license. Congrats on the GMP status. And of course, going public. I appreciate your focus, Ben, on natural products and finding this kind of halfway point where you're taking natural products, but applying some IP into it. And uh, as you said, I think extraction, purification, standardization. And I really liked your quote. You said, uh, nature has done the hard work of perfecting plant species. So I'm curious, of all the places to start, how did you decide on psilocybin and how did you approach the IP? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, it's true. Na- nature has evolved these species for hundreds of millions, if not billions of years, right? And they've evolved to have these compounds within them. It's important to remember that all psychedelics were once natural compounds, right? They were all found in nature, LSD, um, MDA, uh, psilocybin, all these compounds were originally discovered in nature. Um, We don't really know, interestingly, why these compounds and were are present in these natural species and what sort of biological function they serve. It's a fascinating topic to look into. Um, but, but the point is they are all, all, all natural compounds. So when we got started, um, with a naturally focused company, um, basically everyone was telling us that, you know, natural, naturally extracted psychedelics, just not possible, right? You you know, what, what do you mean? You can't have a natural pharmaceutical. It's just not possible. Like, what are you talking about? They kind of looked at us like we had square heads or something like that. Um, and so in order to, to prove them wrong, we thought it would be a wise strategy to start with one of the substances that's the most well-known and the most well-known is probably psilocybin. Um, you know, psilocybin has a lot of evidence um, for the consumption of the, the raw mushroom. And it also has a lot of clinical evidence now um, in the clinic using primarily synthetic psilocybin. Um, and so we thought that that would be a good place to start. Um, and also for the fact that you can grow the mushrooms in your own lab, right? You yes. don't need a large scale um, agricultural facility. I mean, we have a 
3,500 square foot facility now with a with a, a growing operation in there. And, and from that, we could easily supply all the clinical trials that are ongoing in the whole world. Uh, you know, every month we produce uh, something like a couple thousand high doses of psilocybin per month. Um, the other reason to get started with psilocybin is that we noticed that unlike most other extracts that are out there, like say, if you want to go make green tea extract, you just have to do a search on PubMed or on Google patent search or on wherever it is. And you will find everything there is to know about how to make a green tea extract. Mm. But if you do the same for how to make a magic mushroom extract, there is almost nothing published in sort of academia or patent literature. And a lot of what you read about sort of on the internet or in books, you know, is, is actually turned out to be wrong. Um, mm. So we saw an opportunity to A, uh, set the record straight um, on, you know, which techniques actually work. Um, because if we want to have safe, standardized natural psilocybin, obviously we need to have extraction methods that work, that, that make a repeatable, stable form of, of, of psilocybin. But also it allowed us to um, develop new technologies that had never really been described before anywhere um, and apply those to our, our manufacturing process. Because um, as we all know, it, it's not actually possible to patent these psychedelic compounds, psilocybin and others. And the reason for that is because they're A, naturally occurring and B, have been discovered long ago. Um, but what it is possible to do is patent manufacturing processes that are novel mm. and non-obvious that represent a, I guess, an improvement over the, over the state of the art. So, so that's really what, what we did. We, we took psilocybin, we began growing the raw mushrooms. Um, we noticed that there was an extremely high variability between different flushes, different species, different strains, um, um, actually more than what was reported on, on the internet and in, and in what, what little literature there was. So applying extraction, purification, standardization technologies in order to arrive at a pharmaceutical grade highly standardized dose was even more important. And, uh, and that's what we did. So over the last um, little while, we've you know, developed these technologies, implemented them, and we've actually arrived at the point where we've produced standardized pharmaceutical grade clinical trial drug candidates, um, mm. which are set to be entered into human clinical trials. Well put, very exciting stuff. So speaking of this natural angle, the idea of the entourage effect, Ben, I'm curious mm. where you've got alkaloids and other naturally derived compounds that are just part of the process that aren't going to be there for this uh, synthesized psilocybin or other compounds. Let's just say the entourage effect does work and does have an application. How do you think we could go about proving that? Mm. That's a, that's a great question. And it, you know, it's, it's good to say, like, let's assume that the entourage effect exists. Um, there is no clinical evidence to support that, that its existence. There is a lot of anecdotal evidence to support its existence. As an example, um, different people report that different strains of mushrooms have different biological effects. Um, when you here, here in Canada, you can actually buy packages of mushrooms at the store. Um, some will say this one will make you yawn and it, it's illegal, by the way, it just, you know, it's completely illegal, but it's, it's, it's openly tolerated. Um, one will say, you know, this will make you yawn. The other will say, well, this will make you laugh and giggle. And this one makes you social. This one makes you want to spend time alone and introspective. Now, 
that may or may not be true because we know that these psychedelics in general open the user up to something called suggestion bias. So if, if, if I tell you this magic mushroom is going to make you laugh and then I give you the magic mushroom, you're probably going to laugh. Um, but we don't know. So we don't know whether these different, um, these different strains of mushrooms have a different effect, but the fact that different mushrooms may have a different effect does does point to some kind of evidence that there may be some compounds in there that have a slightly different effect uh, on, on you, on humans. Um, and that would be the beginning of the evidence of something like the entourage effect, right? The entourage effect being the idea that the whole complement of naturally occurring compounds in the magic mushroom can provide some kind of benefit over just the single compound primary metabolite in this, in the case of magic mushrooms, psilocybin. Um, so we're very excited to be able to prove that, but your original question was, how do you prove that? Well, what you do is you do not make a single compound isolated product from the magic mushroom. So you do not take only the psilocybin and purify it to 99.9% .9 pure psilocybin from the natural mushroom, because if you do, you're really just making a, a replica of a synthetic product, right? There, there's really no, you can't really say that it's really any different, right? Uh, the synthetic 99.9 .9 or the natural 99.9. .9. So the key is to, yes, you must purify the psilocybin, but do it in such a way that you do not remove all of the other, what are called secondary metabolites, all the other compounds that are in there, psilocin, tryptamine, baocystin, norcilocin, all these other, what are called secondary metabolites. And, and that's what we do at Filament. We, we, we chose as our strategy to, to yes, purify, but preserve the same ratio of the secondary metabolites as are found in the raw mushroom. So when you take a roughly speaking at like our 25 milligram standardized capsule, you get the exact same ratio of all these different bioactive alkaloids that are present in the magic mushroom. But what we've done through our technology is removed enough of the non-bioactive stuff, the carbohydrates, the proteins, the chitin, these other, the phenolic compounds, all these other things, enough so that we can give a highly standardized dose. So Step one in proving the entourage effect is keeping those secondary metabolites in the preparation, right? That gives you, you know, confidence that your product is different than a, a pure psilocybin. The second step is putting those uh, compounds into clinical trials and either proving their efficacy against certain outcomes, or eventually in the future, what we might consider doing is having a head to head trial of our mm. natural product versus a synthetic product. Now, would we want to do that? Or would we want to just continue on the research saying, you know, our product is good and, and look how good it is. Um, you know, that, that would be, that, that would be a question for the future, but first yeah. step, keep the secondary metabolites in the product. Second step is prove their benefits either against indication or perhaps directly against the synthetic product. Well put. I like that concept of a head to head, maybe down the road, but for now focus on just proving that it works and it's good. Love that idea of the suggestion bias. And also this idea that you guys are preserving the same ratio as in the naturally occurring substance. Fascinating stuff, Ben. So uh, speaking of interesting quotes from you, another one, let's put our, our uh, wave of magic wand and look ahead a little bit. You said, <clears throat> you said, these technologies are powerful because they can be applied to natural compounds, which have profound effects on human health and optimization. 
And Ben, that human optimization concept really fascinates me. I'm curious to put your prognosticator cap on, how do you see the path for healthy people to be able to pursue safe legal psychedelic medicine in the future? We're where we are, we're looking like three steps. We're playing 3D chess here because first we don't even really know what it's going to look like, how sick people can use it, right? I mean, yes, yes, we think the FDA will approve it. There's no guarantees. You know, Oregon State is is legalized it for uh therapeutic use in a in a non-FDA approved setting. So we, we don't even know how that's gonna play out. But for healthy people, um, you know, now we're talking about um um, essentially dietary supplements containing psychedelics, right? Because the, hmm. the definition of a di dietary supplement, at least in the United States, is um, a product that's not intended to treat or cure any disease. I think that such a future would be very, very exciting, obviously, right? There, in my mind, there is absolutely no reason why we shouldn't push for a much broader legalization of these kinds of substances, as long as they're obviously made responsibly and well standardized and made in a GMP environment. I, I sometimes like to say that there's there's two dirty R words in the psychedelics industry, revenue and recreational, right? Uh, nobody, nobody wants to talk about when they're actually going to make money. And nobody wants to look as if this whole thing is an excuse just to get recreational um, and, and maybe recreational is the right term, but maybe over the counter or, you know, nutritional health product style um, psychedelics legal. But I say, why not? Right. It, it, they're shown to be less harmful than alcohol, nicotine, even they're shown to be less harmful than cannabis. So wh why shouldn't we have, I mean, here <laughs> in British Columbia, summertime is called shroomy season, right? Everyone kind of stops drinking and begins <laughs> doing shrooms and it's great. Anyways, the possibilities for, uh, healthy people to use, um, uh, psychedelics. Well, it, they, they abound, at least in anecdotal self-reported literature. Um, people that microdose, you know, report greater uh, uh, brain function, clarity, memory, all these, all these different kinds of things. And also people report that it's fun, right? It's fun to have mushrooms on the weekend with your friends and giggle and laugh or go into a corner and uh, have a nice period of introspection, depending on, you know, if you believe the package, what, uh, what the different kinds of mushrooms will do to you. So I think a future like that, where we, maybe we don't put psilocybin in the water supply, uh, but one where more accessible, maybe, maybe we need to put the, maybe we need to put the psilocybin in the water supply on Capitol Hill or on Parliament Hill. Um, but, um, it, 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 a future with, with that possibility is quite exciting. Ben, I love that. Uh, and the two dirty R words, revenue and recreational, you are preaching to the choir. It's not evil to make money and there's a way to no. do it in this space. And it's okay. I'm with you on that. And I also agree on the recreational. There are going to be recreational users, no matter what we do, and probably good to not demonize them because good chance they end up being future intentional users. So uh, well put, and I love that take. So taking a step back a little bit, a little bit about filament. So two quick questions about filament. One, uh, what's a hard-earned lesson you've had in the last few months? A hard-earned lesson is that, um, because these substances are controlled substances, um, things that are typically very easy when you're commercializing a botanical extract become very hard, right? Mm. Um, not only do you need to have the facility with a dealer's license and all the security and a background check and yada, 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 um, 
you know, other things like, for instance, just testing, right? So just getting your product tested for heavy metals and pesticides, which is a very standard thing to do for, for botanicals, it becomes hard because you have to find a lab that is also accredited with all these different controlled substances uh, exemptions. Um, it's a bit infuriating because like I said, you can go to a storefront in downtown Vancouver that's advertising magic mushrooms for sale and just buy magic mushrooms, right? Oh and, it's, and it's completely color. Yeah, it's, you, you can- you about can, this. You can order them on the internet uh, it, it, and it works. And it and comes the cops in- And just looking away, they're not, no one's busting them? They just don't, they just don't care, right? And oh nor, I mean, nor should they, nor should they because there's, um, you know, again, as long as the products are being made responsibly, uh, and safely, you know, like I said, it's going to do less harm than alcohol. It's going to do less harm than nicotine. It's going to do less harm than cannabis even. Um, so they, they shouldn't spend their effort enforcing it. But yeah. the frustrating thing is that when you're doing legitimate pharmaceutical research, all of these different regulations uh, make your life quite, quite challenging. Um, now, again, on the flip side to that is once you're kind of within the tent of these tough regulations as we are now, of course, we have a perverse incentive to maintain the tough regulations because mm. they exclude competitors. So that's how a kind of unfair system can kind of, uh, can, can kind of, uh, be allowed to, uh, uh, exist because, you know, it benefits us once we're in it. It's just really hard. You see a lot of companies saying they're going to get a dealer's license, saying they're going to have this production saying, 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 and then eight, 18 months later, they're still saying the same thing. Mm. Great call on this, the difficulties of the controlled substances and on these perverse incentives. What a Wild West industry we are in, Ben. Speaking of which, uh, you guys are one of the companies that are doing. You're not just talking, you're not blustered, you're doing. And I think that uh, some of these wins you've got over the last few months are proof of that. As you look forward, by the end of the year, what would you like to see your team accomplish or what are you excited to see the team accomplish? What we're most excited about uh, proving to all the haters out there um, is that it is possible to develop a natural psychedelic clinical trial candidate. Um, we have um, been in close communication with the, with the FDA and we're excited about um, receiving authorization to proceed into a phase one trial of our naturally extracted botanical psychedelic drug candidates. Um, these will be the first natural psychedelic drug candidates and in, and even more than that the first that are that are um botanical drugs and what's interesting about botanical drugs it goes back to what we opened with with about the entourage effect the botanical drug guidance uh in the fda actually permits you to have multiple compounds in the extract multiple mechanisms of action so one could say it's perfectly suited uh, for a psychedelic extract which as we know has multiple bioactive elements um, you know, getting these th these trials up and running um, down at the University of California, San Francisco, that, that, that's what has me by far the most excited, not only because they'll be the first um, uh, natural psychedelic trials, but also we actually have uh, one of our drug candidates from the magic mushroom is a compound that has never been put into any psychedelic trial before, natural or synthetic. Mm. Um, it's a compound that we think... Um, has quite a few therapeutic potential advantages compared to psilocybin. We think that it might be faster acting. We think it, that it might have um, lower side effects, especially gastrointestinal side effects. We think we might be able to provide a more consistent and stable dose with it. 
And what we found out is that synthetic manufacturing companies, you know, they aren't able to make this compound in a stable, high, high enough yield form. And for that reason, it just has kind of flown under the radar forever. Um, and but since we're a natural company and we saw all the compounds in the in the magic mushroom, we immediately identified this compound as a as a promising as a promising candidate. We're administering that compound orally and also sublingually because. Hmm. Again, we might get further benefits in terms of faster uptake. It can go, it goes right into the bloodstream through the oral mucosa. Um, and also this compound that we've identified lends itself much better to a sublingual delivery than, um, than, than psilocybin does. So Ben, what's the compound? Do you have to be cloaking we're, dagger we're, about it? We're not, we're not sharing, we're not sharing the name of the compound until the clinical trial gets approved because we don't want to give the, uh, all the competitors too many clues. Okay. Like we don't want, we don't want to alert. We want to try to stay mum because. Um, uh, we don't want people to know that it, in fact, it is possible to make a stable formulation of this compound. Uh, so, okay. uh, we'll, we'll see. see. We'll so, see. so stay, stay tuned for exciting updates in that regard. UCSF clinical trials and a mystery unnamed compound to be determined later. We will keep an eye out. Very excited to see that. So Ben, that's it for the deep dive. Now let's transition to this final segment called the soul search, uh, a window into the soul of Mr. Lightburn. Four questions. You ready? Ready. Okay. Question number one. Ben, what's your favorite book? Oh, uh, This Is Your Mind on Plants by Michael Pollan. The new book. Fascinating. Okay. The new one. I'll have to check that out. So yeah. number two, Ben, you are on a desert island and you only get to have one mind-altering substance for 10 years. And it could be anything as uh, gentle as caffeine or as high as some of the bigger ones. What would be the one that you would go with? Hmm. Hmm. I think I'd have to say psilocybin. Wow. Uh, I'm with you on that one, actually. Good actually, answer. no, I would I say that. mystery compound X from our... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> uh, I see what you did there. Very nice. Okay. Ben, sublingual, bit... sublingual mystery compound X. There you go. Plenty of whole boxes. I, I feel like that can help me get over my caffeine and alcohol withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Because okay. alcohol or caffeine, but then I have to give up. I have to choose one. So why not choose psilocybin and then kind of work my way through the withdrawal of both of those. <laughs> Making a lot of sense. Okay, Ben, this was a little bit more of a serious note. But uh, what is your greatest fear? In life or in the industry? In life. My greatest fear would be that something happens to my kids and I can't see my kids ever again. Definitely, that would be my greatest fear. I appreciate that. Okay, last question, Ben, maybe a little bit more of a positive note. What are you curious about? I'm very curious to see how the psychedelics industry and legalization and distribution rolls out. And, and that, and I'm, I'm not just saying that because it's topical to my career and my, what I'm doing in my company. I really do think that these substances have the power to change the world and how governments decide to legislate and regulate and, and roll these out. Uh, you know, we could have a, we could have a very, I mean, Everyone is touched by mental health issues, either directly or, you know, one degree of separation away. Um, everybody has a personal story in their, in their family. Uh, so, so do we, um, you know, and you think back of, on all the number of ways in which psychedelics could, who knows if they, 
who knows whether it would have cured or helped or, but at least if we'd had the opportunity to try, which right now we don't even have that opportunity. And it, it really is a crying shame, as they say. So I'm really curious about to see how the reintroduction of psychedelics into society, um, what kind of effect that has. Mm, that's a really good answer. And I'm with you on that one, my friend. Okay, Ben, where can the listeners, the viewers find you or any action items for them? Hit us up on our website, um, sign up for our mailing list. We, uh, we keep people up to date or reach out to me, uh, reach out to reach out to me directly. I'm easy to find. I'm, I'm six foot seven, easy to spot in a crowd. <laughs> uh, that's a good little nugget, six foot seven. Okay. He is the CEO and founder of Filament Health, Ben Lightberg. Thank you for joining the show. Thanks, Ray. It was a pleasure. Okay, producer Kevin, time for our last segment of the show. This is called A Slap and a Clap. The slap for bad behavior, a little critique, goes to Ulysses. Now, I'm starting to sound like a broken record on this, but these companies talking about digital software patents are making the industry look bad. You cannot patent digital therapeutics. Go look at the tech companies, look at really sharp tech companies. They aren't doing it. It's a bad use of money. Ulysses, a little slap on the wrist to you. And for the clap, today's round of applause goes to Novamind, based out of Canada, quietly doing really good work, uh, innovative, very active with patients already with ketamine. And they appear quite open-minded regarding additional substances like psilocybin when the time is right. And oh, by the way, they have a really nice design style on their website. So clap to you, Nova Mind. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you to Ben Lightburn, producer Kevin. I'm Ray Christian. See you next time.